0: Hello, and welcome to The Other Side. I am your host, Meg Gluckman. This podcast is designed for moms who want to create a juicy, rich, lush life post-divorce, even while co-parenting with their ex. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. This podcast we are recording the very beginning of September, and we were just talking about, my guest and I, before we started recording, that it's back to school time, and I am totally celebrating back to school. Both my kiddos uh, got on the bus on Tuesday for the first day, and it was awesome, and I was thinking about back to school and thinking about how learning how to co-parent after divorce is truly a class we've never taken before. It's, it may be one of the hardest classes that we've ever gone through. The, the material to learn is is more than we ever thought we might have to deal with. And I am so happy that I actually have a textbook for you all to learn from and one that truly, truly helped me during my first years of co-parenting after my divorce. I am coming up now to six years since the finalization of my divorce. And I feel very, very fortunate that my guest's book was already published and out so that someone could hand it to me and say, take a look at this. This is going to help you out a lot. So let me introduce my special guest today. I have Karen Bunnell with me here. Hi, Karen. Welcome. And thank you for being on.
1: Oh, Meg, it's my honor. I'm so happy to be here with you and with parents listening or just the people listening. There could be grandparents who are thinking about their grandlings, whoever. I'm just happy to be here. Thank you. Yes. Um, And we're
0: going to talk about today one of Karen's books, and it's The Co-Parenting Handbook, Raising Well-Adjusted and Resilient Kids from Little Ones to Young Adults Through Divorce and Celebration. And I wonder, Karen, if you would just start us with a little bit of your background and what what kind of prompted you to write this book that now we're almost up to its 10-year anniversary, I think.
1: Yeah, it's the 10-year anniversary of the first edition, Meg. We actually did do a second edition in 2017. So it was updated once and, you know, that was just a great opportunity to pull in some of the pieces that we had learned from 2014. And that first three years that it was out, it sounds like maybe that's uh, when you first saw it. So um, and thank you for that introduction. You know, you were saying about back to school and I always say, you know, it's very rare that anybody had divorce or co-parenting on their vision board. So it takes us completely by surprise. And there's a lot of myth and misunderstanding about what is co-parenting. So back in 2013, when it was at that point, I had been divorced for about, oh, I don't know, 12 or 13 years myself. And I had been working with divorcing parents at that point, also for about six or seven years, that I heard a voice in my head. You know, we all have that still small voice, right? The one that we often don't want to listen to because it says things like, you shouldn't eat that cookie or don't don't drink so much caffeine. You know, it tells us all these little nudges and helps to make us better. Well, to the, on that particular day, that voice said, you should write it down. And that was in response to going and seeing one more set of co-parents. Actually, it was a Saturday. I was going into the office and I knew that I was meeting with this set of parents who very much wanted to do their separation process, their divorce process in a way that really supported their kiddos. I already knew that because they had sent me an email and it had been so clear, can you help, right? That was the message, can you help? So the voice said, you should write it down. I went home that afternoon, it was July, and I literally mapped out 12 chapters of a book. And 11 of those Two of them got collapsed, but 11 of those are 11 chapters that were in the first edition the Co-Parents Handbook. So part of that is I wanted that back to school to be a little easier. I wanted that those first moments of sheer look, oh, my God, how am I going to do this to go smoother and to give people landmarks and skills and processes that work that you don't have to invent the wheel. Most people who go through a divorce with children do that once, maybe twice. You and me, people who do this work, we've been through this with many, many, well, for me, hundreds, probably well over a thousand families. So how do we take all that learning, get it down into a hundred and I don't know how many pages and say, look, we're here to help. We're here to help. So that's how the book got born. Wow. Wow. And were was that first
0: couple who you imagined reading the book? Did you have somebody in mind that that you were really thinking about? Like I want to be able to hand this to them.
1: Yes, I absolutely did because my experience make and this is something that I don't think we talk enough about. I would guess that about 80% of parents who are making the decision to separate, whether they're married legally or not, so separate or separate in divorce, really have the capacity to move through that family restructuring without getting the courts involved, without high conflict. I'm not saying without conflict, there's healthy conflict. And when you're ending a marriage, there's gonna be pain and lots of high emotion And we can still do that skillfully so that children are cared for and protected and they're moved into their two home family in a way that feels stable and secure and they begin to thrive again. So I actually was thinking about what I think of is about 80% of our families out there, many of whom don't know that they could do this without running to an attorney or positioning themselves to just sort of think, well, I have to take someone to the cleaners or I have to fight this out or we'll never be able to co-parent. I've heard it 100 million times. I will never be able to co-parent with this person. I can't trust them. They've broken my heart, whatever the case may be. And the bottom line is, all those feelings, all those feelings are very true, real, and raw. They're not accurate. And with the right support, with your heart turned in the right direction, which is towards your children. I want to do this not for my co parent. I'm not doing this for you. That ship sailed, but I will do this for my kids. And I have to tell you, I'm not, I, I, I'm pretty certain every parent on this listening to this podcast if i were to say would you run in front of a bus to save your kiddo they would say absolutely and i'm here to tell you learning to co-parent is easier than running in front of a bus so we can do this
0: That's we can do I'm this we can yes. do this yes and i i love just the image and I saw you for those not watching our video, but you actually like turn your body, right? It's really like, I am turning towards my kiddos. Right. I'm focusing on my kiddos. And that is what is so clear through this whole book and through all the work that you have out there for us to tap into is how do I turn to focus on my kids?
1: How do I let them be my motivation? Mm -hmm. Because if I use my anger at you for ending our marriage or having an affair or whatever, if I use that as my motivation, that leads me directly to a litigation attorney and to court. Mm -hmm. That's a direction that almost always harms kids. High conflict, chronic conflict, resentment, you know, betrayals and dragging them through all of that. It doesn't help kids. We need to know that there's a different way, a way that actually protects children and ultimately protects their relationship with both of us, not just me, but with you as well. Because for their health, for their growing up, they actually need us both, even though I might want nothing to do with you. Right? Yes. (laughs) I think that is probably one of the
0: most challenging concepts for for newly separated or co-parenting parents, to consider that it's actually in my kids' best interest for me to nurture their relationship with the other person, with the other parent, for me to talk fondly or talk, talk respectfully about the other parent to them, right? That That is that, <laughs> it's such a stretch for so many of us in the beginning. And this is actually a great kind of segue into one of the first concepts that you share in the book that I really I love and I, and I want to talk about, which is shifting from a spouse mind to a parent mind. Well, why don't you start by just explaining, like, what's the difference between the two and why is it important to create that shift?
1: Beautiful. So, you know, May, I usually say to parents, you know, when you first met and maybe you fell in love, I'm assuming that you did, you were two adults and you fell in love and you might have decided to get married or to join forces and live in one home and create a sense of family. And at that point, you were husband and wife or wife and wife or just intimate partners, however you framed that for yourselves. But there was no child yet. And in that moment, there's your spouse mind. There's your intimate partner mind. This is what brought us together. All of our attachments to one another, our hearts, if you will, our souls getting entwined, right? We're sleeping next to each other most nights. Okay, that's spouse mind or intimate partner mind. And then we get pregnant. We begin to expect a little person into our lives. And lo and behold, we're no longer just. Husband and wife, or intimate partners, but we become parents. So I remember describing myself, I was legally married to my children's father, as I was a wife and mother. It was as if they were one and the same, like there were hyphens in between, wife and mother. It was like this conglomerate, right? And as it should have been, because my identity was I was a professional, a wife and mother, whatever, whatever. Okay. When we decided to end our marriage, then I had to separate out in what parts of me was I still a mother and what parts of the intimate partnership needed to be pulled apart. Because it was in that intimate partnership where the where the sense of failure or the sense of betrayal or the sense of loss lived. That's where that lived, right? Of course, there was grief about ending an original family, but it didn't take anything away from me being able to be a mom, right? I was still going to be a mom, even though I wasn't a mom 100% of the time on duty. I was always a mom, 100% mom all the time, but on duty, 50% of the time. In our case, that's how we shared our children. That varies from family to family, right? So pulling apart our spouse mind or our intimate partner mind from our parenting mind is really critical. Because now the things I do, I always want to operate from parent mind. As a parent, I'm not going to badmouth my co-parent. As an intimate partner who is furious or fearful or so unbelievably sad, I might say things that I would never say from my parent mind. So those are the things I want to make sure I'm talking with my hairdresser about or my therapist or maybe my best friend. But you know what? I'm not talking about it with all the parents at the soccer on the soccer team. Because my dirty laundry, my feelings, my big emotions don't belong in my children's world, in the water that they swim in. So I really work with parents to separate out what's going on up here and your intimate partner mind and how to keep that where it belongs so that the rest of the time you're parenting and parenting skillfully.
0: I love that so much. I just love this concept so much. And it makes sense why it's complicated. It feels complicated at first to do that because you it's it's all been mixed together. Right? It's All been, been mixed like together. <laughs> right? right. And your kids have been around while you've been more in the spouse mind, you know, and it's of course it's going to be hard to untangle. And I appreciate you differentiating too that it's not that we need to not have those hard feelings. It's not that we need to like get rid of the grief really fast, or it's not that we have to love everything that our co parent is doing, right? It's that we're creating s- different containers for experiencing those feelings, for working them out, for talking about them, right? We're differentiating. We're, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the other word that was just at the tip of my tongue, but we'll just stick with differentiating. We're differentiating, right? So when we're with our kids, we are 100% parenting mind and i love too what you're saying like when we're in their world when we're at school when we're at the school concerts when we're at the sports fields like we're a hundred percent in their world we're a hundred percent parent mind and then we have these other spaces where we get to process everything right we get to process like what it's like on our nervous system when our ex does something that we really don't like we get to process What happened in the divorce? We get to process that our future isn't what we thought it was going to be. And that's all super valid as well. We're just really differentiating the two.
1: That's exactly right. You know, the word that was coming up for me, Meg, while you were waiting for a word to come to you, was we're protecting our kids. Mm. And and that's often hard to recognize the value of that when we ourselves feel unprotected, right? Now, suddenly we feel unprotected. Are are we gonna have enough money? Are we gonna be able to stay in our home? Are we gonna need to go now, go back to work when we had been promised that we'd be able to stay home if there's a stay-at-home parent that's listening? All of this comes up and believe it or not, I mean, obviously in this day and age, that might have been a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom, it's not a gender-related issue. Anyway, the ground is changing. So we ourselves may be feeling unprotected, and yet I'm asking and working with you just as you do, Meg, when you're working with us, to protect your children. Yeah. Right. We call it trickle down, confident guy. So I would be talking with you about in ways that I would help you feel protected so that you could go home with your grade five and your grade three children and help them feel protected. So we're going to trickle down that protection. I'm going to do it for you. You're going to go home and do it for the kids. And this brings up why coaches are so, so valuable during this process. Yes,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And you use a term or, or you ask a question, I guess, in, in the book, which seems like it's the flip opposite, right? Which is, do the kids need to know the truth, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Truth, like I'm going to put quotation marks around it, right? The truth of how, you know, the other parent behaves or the truth of what happened in the divorce or the truth of why the marriage ended, right? And you say,
1: actually, no. And I'm going to be really clear, actually, and absolutely, no. What children need when our when their families are changing, when we're restructuring a family going through separation and divorce, is they need age-appropriate information. There are lots and lots of things in family life that we don't talk frankly with our children about at certain ages. And I often, when I get challenged, because believe me, Meg, how many parents have come back to me? Moms and dads have said, I am not going to lie to my kids. I'm like, okay, I love the value system. I think that's really great. What about appropriate privacy and protection? So, you know, we're going to have a little back and forth, me and the parent who is not going to lie to their kids. And then I said, okay, so I want you to be at the breakfast table. Here on Sunday morning and you've just made waffles and Madeline says to you, Daddy, Mommy, did you guys have oral sex last night and what did you do? (laughs) Okay, Madeline is six. (laughs) I'm thinking you're not going into the detail on that. Over waffles, it's Sunday breakfast. I'm just thinking you're going to find a way to reassure her That parents might have adult intimacies that are important without involving her in things that are way above her emotional pay grade. And the reasons for the ending of a marriage are way above a child's emotional pay grade. When they reach an age where they understand what a long-term marriage means or a long-term intimate partnership involves or requires, now you can have a conversation with them. Now they can join you because they have the emotional capacity to understand. But when we tell kids why this marriage is ending in a way that creates blame or siding, or choosing one parent over another, we are simply disadvantaging a kid. Now, we might feel like we're unburdening ourselves. We might feel vindicated and judgmental and all kinds of wonderful, strong feelings. I'll show you, you had an affair. I'm going to tell our 15-year-old that you're fucking the nanny. No, no, that doesn't benefit that 15-year-old. Parent mind, parent mind, parent mind, parent mind. Does that help my 15-year-old grow into the person I hope they become as an adult? And the answer is absolutely not. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Be very, very careful. When the truth is age-appropriate, loving, respectful, sure, sure. Privacy, age-appropriate, the right information at the right time. Parents exercise that judgment. Every single
0: day. And the question that comes to mind for me, for that parent who wants to share this thing with their child, is why? Yeah. Why do you want to? And let's dive deep into that why question. Right? Well, they should know that he behaves this way or she behaves this way. Why? Why? Right. And it's like I sometimes I get into this loop with my clients where I'm just asking them why. Yeah. Over and over and over again. And oftentimes what we'll get to is it's not fair. It's not fair to me that I have to show up as the responsible, respectful parent when they did this to
1: me. That's right. Right. When they. Let me highlight when they did this to me, because Meg, I'm also sure that you've discovered that often the because, the because, the why, the why ends with, I don't want Madeline to be hurt by him or her the way I've been. Right. And suddenly there's this some conflation between the relationship between a parent and a child, which is a very different dynamic. And what happened in the intimate partnership. And again, we've got to tease apart intimate partnership, parent-child relationship. Two different animals. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we can take the time and see our hurt and our fear, that's part of it. Hey. And, and we work on that ourselves. Right, We get the support for that hurt and that fear ourselves and then recognize that the way that we want to show up with our child is I don't know what they're going to experience through their life. They may, you know, they may be disappointed. They may feel hurt by some behavior of the other parent. These things are going to happen, Right. No. Like I like to say, like, no kid gets through childhood, like skate free. right? Like, no, nobody gets through. It. Like, it's funny that we we think somebody like that. There's one person out there who kind of managed to get through childhood totally like unscarred. No, <laughs> there's no one. But but recognizing, well, instead of taking taking action that might actually cause some very serious negative side effects right in hopes of preventing our child from feeling something in the future right right? instead equipping ourselves with the skill set that you know what i'm gonna be there for my child no matter what they're feeling i'm gonna i'm gonna show them that it's okay to feel feelings like it, yeah, it sucks when you're feeling disappointed or you're feeling hurt or you're feeling angry. And we can totally be with that feeling. I've felt that a million times and I'm here to feel it with you. And we're going to be okay.
1: And we're going to be okay. We're going to find our way through this. 100%. 100%. Beautiful. And you know, the other thing that parents often struggle with around telling the truth is when that is that 15 year old, let's just call that 15 year old Matt who comes to his mom and says, is dad having an affair? And now she really feels like she's in a double bind because a 15 year old knows what an affair is, don't they? And you're gonna have the impulse to just answer the question. And here again, if we look at this through a developmental lens, this is where I'm gonna encourage a parent to say, It sounds like you're looking for a reason for our divorce, honey. You're wondering if dad's to blame or the affair's to blame for why our family's ending. Looks like you're wondering if you should blame someone. That's a much more, that's a deeper conversation. And the bottom line is the affair may have caused that moment where we say we have to stop but I always encourage parents to think through when answering the question of why are you getting divorced whether someone is six, 16, or 26, okay? The fact of the matter is your mom and I, your dad and I, we're unable to love each other the way a husband and wife needed to love each other. And we're sorry, and we're sad about that. And we're gonna get through this. Affairs, whatever other things might be going on, at the end of the day, it distills down. We can take all the trappings off, undress it completely to its bare nibbin. And we together were unable to do this thing that we had started out to do. I might've been able to do it and you didn't, or you might've been able to do it, but I couldn't. And the thing is, it requires a we whether we like
0: it or not. Oh, that's so powerful. Well, and as you're saying that, as you're sharing that, Karen, too, I'm thinking that person who can say that to their teenager can respond to that question like that is someone who feels kind of grounded, right? Yes. They feel like they've probably worked through a lot of their their strong emotions right that they have come to a little bit of a peaceful place around it at least for at least they can touch that peaceful place every once in a while even if they're not in it all the time
1: so here's what i would say meg yes and no it may be that they called you And you two have had this conversation and they grip onto what you're saying with all their might. They are white knuckling through the answer to that question because on some intuitive level, whether they're ready or not, they know that is what's best for their child's heart. Hmm. Right? So sometimes we're ready and sometimes you know what, we just do the right thing and we wait for the feelings to follow. We have to wait for the feelings to follow and I'm still gonna do the right thing. I'm still gonna operate from parent mind. And I've got my therapist on speed dial and my coach on speed dial and we're gonna get through this. And if I don't have a therapist and I don't have a coach, I can't afford all of those things. I'm going through a divorce. I've got my co-parenting handbook on Audible and I can listen to it in the middle of the night and here's the deal, I can hear Karen's voice and I'll listen to what she's saying, but within 15 minutes, I'm back asleep because her voice puts me to sleep. So it's a (laughs) (laughs) win-win. oh my
0: gosh karen there are a few people that would say listen to my audiobook for two reasons one because the information is so good and so helpful and two because so often folks struggle with sleeping during divorce and i can put you to sleep <laughs> oh it's a, it's a twofer it's a twofer so good so good Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I think that's so, you know, I often talk to my um, clients about writing down thoughts that they want to practice, right? New beliefs that they want to kind of like instill within them. And we use a lot of sticky notes. Um, And I've posted pictures before of um, my shower wall, which is far enough away from kind of where the water comes down, that I can put up all these sticky notes so I can look at them in the shower when I'm practicing new beliefs and new thoughts. And to me, that one, like be in parent mind is like one to put up mm-hmm. if you're going through this process, That's right? And I will say even at almost six, six years out, it's a helpful one for me to think as well, to remind myself to be in parent mind. And I also just reflecting on this, it's amazing how things change over, you know, from the initial decision to separate and the beginning of co-parenting and all the things you have to work out and that mix of like feeling good about what you're doing, but then also feeling, you know, so confused about what you should be doing and just like a lot of uncertainty all at once in the beginning. And then as the months and years go by and you get into a routine and more patterns kind of get established and there's there's more... Um, Confidence or more just knowledge about what your life post separation, post divorce is going to look like, right? Then co parenting feels different, right? And I, I actually had this reflection just the other day of um, just changing how I have a thought, and I, I don't think I'm quite ready to say it on the podcast, but I, <laughs> I had a thought about my ex that I thought was kind of grounded and would always be a part of me way back from when we got divorced. And just walking outside the other day, I realized, oh, I don't believe that anymore. It's gone. And there wasn't a point when something shifted and I was like, oh, you know, now I don't believe, I just realized like, oh, poof, it's gone. Right. And so what what this brings to mind is one another beautiful analogy that you use in the book which has to do with our geography of where we live and the i-5 and the i-405 um analogy and i wonder if you would share share that a little
1: bit and kind of how how co-parenting evolves Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that brings up. I wanted to just before I get into the analogy, say a little bit about what is co parenting. You know, we're talking about this thing as if we really all understand what it is. And so many really believe that co parenting is that we get along. I get along with my ex. We're co parenting. Uh uh. Okay. So, yes, yay for you if you get along with your ex. I love that. Even as well as you may get along, you still need a set of skills. So co-parenting is a set of skills, and that can be practiced skillfully. That set of skills can be practiced well, whether I'm getting along with you or not. And by the way, I can practice skillful co-parenting, whether you are or not. So it's not fifth grade rules. You know, it's not, I'll do it if you do it. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. I'll show you my good co-parenting if you're a good co-parent. No, 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 no. Co-parenting is something we do for who? Our kiddos. All right. So I want to demystify or demythify the idea that in order to co-parent, I have to be, I have to like you or anything else. No, I have to be civilly respectful toward you for the benefit of my children, our children. Okay. That's as good as it has to be. Everything else is icing on the cake, and I'm not taking a thing away from those co-parents who go on vacation together, but that's not required. (laughs) (laughs) So for those who are like going, oh my God, I'd rather tear my hair out first, I get it. I get it. I was was a co-parent to my children's father in a parallel co-parenting structure for, oh, I don't know, let's see now, it must have been a little over 20 years when our first grandchild was born. And lightning struck and things shifted. Right? So we never know when lightning's gonna strike, and we let things shift when they can if we can keep that door open. Right? But that's how it works. Alright, so back to the, the I-405 and the, and the 5. So anybody who knows anything about the Seattle areas, we're surrounded by water and we've got this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful lake. It's the Long Lake, Lake Washington, that separates the east side of the greater Seattle area from downtown Seattle and Seattle's residential areas on the other side of the lake. And so the I-5 goes up through Seattle and the 405 comes over here on the east side. And it starts in Tukwila, which is where our airport is, the Seattle Tacoma International Airport down in Tequila. And it and it comes back together in a little town called Linwood, up north of the lake. All right. And so I say to parents when they're separating and divorcing, I said, you have arrived in Taquila. And you both now have choices to make. Now I'm going to ask that one of you emotionally. Gets on the I-5 and you begin to drive north on the I-5. North, use your North Star. We're going to be skillful co-parents. We're going to do this well. We're going to take good care of our kiddos. But I'm going to be over here on the I-5 doing my emotional work in order to do that. And the other parent's going to take the I-405. So you're going to be on opposite sides of this beautiful, beautiful long lake and you've got a bit of a drive in front of you. Okay, this is no small lake. Okay, it's not Lake Superior, but let's just imagine it could be. So there are two floating bridges that go across that lake. For those who don't know, one is the I-90 and the other is the 405. And so when we exchange our children, it is okay with me if you imagine that you're going to go onto the I-90 or the 405 and you're going to exchange your children skillfully. That transition is going to be done with respect. It's gonna be brief, it's gonna be loving, it's gonna be child-centered. They have have all the rules, they know how to do it. And then you're gonna turn around and you go back to your respective I-5s and 405s and continue your journey, okay? Now, after a certain amount of time, and this varies for each couple, there comes a point, and you just mentioned one that you noticed after six years. I mentioned one that came after 20 years the emotional blocking that we needed dissolved. And sometimes it's because lightning strikes because a little grandbaby is born and you'll be damned if you're going to carry more enmity forward. Or it might just be that your own sense of self has shifted, right? And it doesn't matter. Just notice. Because at some point when you're up there and you reach Linwood, you're going to know you've arrived. And that's when you know you can do a bar mitzvah together for your kiddo or a confirmation or a wedding or a high school graduation or meet all together on prom night. When we can do that skillfully, we know that the time we spent on each side of Lake Washington, that big, beautiful lake, was well spent doing our emotional work. Oh, I'm like tearing up you guys. <laughs> oh, Karen, you're so good.
0: I'm tearing up um, because I think for so many of us, we feel like the roads should come together much sooner. Like we, I should be better at this. I should be able to handle whatever they are doing. You know, I should not get emotionally triggered. I should, you know, it would be better for my kids if i could i could do things together that we could be more aligned and i just i i love this idea of like for many of us there is some emotional blocking that we needed there there was some space that we needed for our safety for our healing for our growing into who we needed to grow into before We could do that. Right. I mean, for a lot of us, there's there's some old trauma that that we need to work through before we can actually safely really come together Mm -hmm.
1: before we can safely reengage. And we may never reengage in the way that we imagine people think co-parenting means that's back to the myth. Right. We're back to the myth. You know, you were talking about sticky notes, and I love that the people who do sticky notes have done super sticky notes. Don't you love that? There's now super sticky notes. <laughs> it's for those of us who have to move them around a lot. You yeah. know, right? But here are my three, and I say this to, to co-parents often. At the end of the day, you go into the bathroom to brush your teeth and you're looking in the mirror or some version of that at the end of your day. And your first sticky note says, was I the person I wanted to be in the world today? So I just want you to think about yourself as a human on the planet. Am I living in integrity with my soul's code, with my heart? You know, am I working on those, those new thoughts that you talked about me that, you know, I'm, I'm getting my affirmations where I need them to be for me. This is all about me in this first sticky note. Okay. Did I show up today as the person I want to be in the world? I don't need to be perfect. I just get to say, I did well. I'm going to work tomorrow on, I want to get stuff over to the goodwill, whatever is the answer to that question, right? The next sticky note says, was I the parent to the kiddos that I wanted to be today? And that might need to be broken into two or three, depending on how many kiddos you had. Was it the parent to Ariana that I wanted to be today? Was it a parent to Amir that I wanted to be today? Right? And I wanted me to sit with that question while I'm brushing my teeth. Now you got two minutes if you're using one of those toothbrushes that, you know, signal (laughs) when to switch uppers and lowers and fronts and backs. So now we're going to move to the third one. And it's just as important as the other two. Was I a skillful co-parent? So did I execute on the skills of co-parenting regardless of what my co-parent may or may not have been doing on behalf of my children? So there's my three sticky notes. How did I show up in the world today? Was I the parent I wanted to be to my children? Did I execute skillfully on my co-parenting skills? There you go. Three sticky notes.
0: Those are so good. Those are so good. And I think they come with, hopefully, they come with some gentleness or some grace.
1: 100%. Right? One hundred percent.
0: We want to use these as our as our GPS, as our navigation. This is where we want to go, right. and none of us like just like you said, none of us are a hundred percent. You know, I, I like to say we're aiming for B minus. We're doing B minus <laughs> work here, people. <laughs> like can did did I did I make a B minus today? Right. Like am I am I good enough? That's also a term that you use in your book, which I love. Like was I a good marriage enough marriage.
1: parent today? People with belly buttons, people with belly buttons deserve a 15% error rate. Yeah, there you go. So unless you're missing a belly button. You know what? There you go. There's an error rate that comes with us. It's all about the belly button.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is so good. Okay. We're, we're going to close up with the belly button. I think that is like the perfect, (laughs) (laughs) perfect way. If you have a belly button, give yourself some extra grace here. Yeah. There you go. Yes. (laughs) Um, and it's a process it's a process, it's a learning journey, just like we I started describing this as a class. Like it's almost like we're getting a master's degree, right, in co-parenting. It is not something that we should know how to do before we start doing it, and it's not something we learn in just one day. It's a process of learning. And That's like you like you said, I love thinking about it as a skill set. This is the skill set where we're growing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Karen. This is an amazing conversation before we leave. Can you tell folks about your other books and resources that they can um, take advantage of?
1: Sure. One is, I invite anyone to go to the website. There's lots of free resources, lots of podcasts there, um, Meg, and there's also um, a number of blog posts that answer questions like, "Should I call my kids every day when they're at their dad's house?" Or you know, just answer all like you have a ton of questions. Of course you do. And so there's lots of blogs that help with those more targeted questions. You know, I have a I have a two year old. How many nights of residential time should we be, how should we be doing this? There's all kinds of information. So first, welcome to go to my website, drain it of everything you can find, including my YouTube page. Now, the books themselves, um, we've got the co-parenting handbook, which is what we've been talking about today. We have the parenting plan workbook. So for anybody who's preparing to do a parenting plan, I highly, highly, highly recommend that. It was done with a family law attorney, Felicia Malsby Soleil who practices in Gig Harbor. And we have a whole set of videos that go along with it. So for those who like sort of video visual, you get you get both of those. So available on Amazon. And then the third book that I'm just going to mention, although we're talking about separation and divorce um, down the road, three to you know two to five years, most people will start wanting to date again. Um, that's healthy. That's normal. So we wrote the Step Family Handbook, which doesn't mean about step family. It really is about dating about introducing children to new romantic partners, and obviously, ultimately, about cohabitating, and the five challenges that are a part of that process. So there's the books for you.
0: So good. So good. Y'all, I highly, highly recommend Karen's website, and we'll link to it in the show notes. And um, she's findable on Instagram as well. And um, just... Take her up on all of her offers for her wonderful resources. Um, There's just a wealth, wealth of help to be had there. So thank you again, Karen, so much for spending the time with us and sharing all your wisdom and your stories and your analogies and your laughter. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right, y'all. That's all for this week. And we will see you next time. Bye now. Hey. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As a mom who went through divorce and had a lot of struggles, I hope this podcast makes your life a little more bearable, a little easier, a little sweeter. If you crave more support, I've got you. Jump to my website, meggluckman.com and grab my free resource called Fearless Co-Parenting, a super useful video on co-parenting with less stress. Again, you can find it at Meg Gluckman, that's G-L-U-C-K-M-A-N dot com. And I'll see you in the next episode of Welcome to the Other Side. Bye now.